Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. John Potoff, CEO of Eligo, about why he believes that decentralized clinical trials can be more patient-friendly, how they epitomize clinical research as a care option, and how that model helps us to access patients who have no other way of participating in trials. Welcome, John. Thank you, Danny. Pleasure to be here. I would love to get your opinion about why you think the decentralized model works so much better for patients. What does it provide them with? Can you take us through that? I think the decentralized model, and just to, you know, I think also to clarify what we are talking about with decentralized models, because I believe it means something different to many different people. In, in this context, we're really looking at the model of having a central principal investigator then interacting with patients and healthcare providers uh, as contributors to clinical trials, but not as investigators or sub-investigators or satellite sites. It allows us to interact with patients in a way that uh, allows them to stay connected to their own personal physicians and utilizing different methods of interacting with them, whether it be uh, visits into a clinic or a home healthcare visit or a telehealth visit, uh, doesn't really matter. So really believe that the decentralized model allows us to access many more physicians or patients and allow more people to gain clinical research as an option for them than when we set up a limited number of research sites to participate in any specific trial. So the real benefit is, is that it really widens the ability for patients to participate and gives that ability to patients that may not have a clinical research site nearby. The decentralized model existed before the COVID-19 pandemic, but has proven to be a powerful motivator for a lot of people. How do you see that influencing the push forward to move towards a decentralized trial? That's a, that's a great question and really looking at what, ha what has happened pre-pandemic and I'd like to say post-pandemic, I'm not sure we're really there yet, but as we start to look at, at ending and going back to normal, normal routines, you know, I think there's been a lot of, of interest on, on two sides in accessing clinical trials. One is on the need to be able to access from the pharmaceutical sponsor, biotech, medical device, uh, whoever, and the, the location or the data that's being collected for the clinical trial. So we know that during the pandemic, uh, many sites were not accessible for CRAs or for patients. Uh, so we had to adapt to home visits, telehealth visits, remote monitoring, and other things that are actually part of decentralized clinical trials. So I think having the experience of seeing uh, a lot of, of monitoring visits going to remote monitoring in, in a centralized approach, or looking at accessing patients using different modalities, whether that be uh, by using telehealth systems or, or home health or, or you know, how, we bring, how we contact patients opened a lot of doors for those tools being used in a clinical trial, which then makes the idea of doing a trial in a more decentralized way less strange or less different. So it certainly has accelerated adoption of all of the different tools at our hands. One thing that comes up a lot of times when discussing the idea of clinical research as a care option is silos. Do you think that going decentralized 
mitigate some of that siloed nature that's preventing us from pursuing clinical research as a care option? I do. I think that, that doing de uh, trial in a decentralized way helps to address some of the silos that sort of exist in both healthcare and, and clinical research. And, you know, we know that on both sides, when you look at healthcare, for example, you know, there's a, there's a lot of workflow and the patient healthcare journey that is very siloed and very specialized and, and different. I think you also see that within healthcare, there's a lot of geographic difference and that varies in different therapeutic areas. There's consolidation of healthcare providers and, and that varies by therapeutic area as well as geography. So you might have one part of the of a geography that has a dominant player in, in, G, in GI, for example, and then another where there's a, a, a very fragmented approach to treatment or health systems that dominate certain geographies versus others. So I think that the provision of clinical trials is very similar in those, in those areas. And as we start to do more decentralization, where we have a central support system that's enabling more physicians to work together under the direction of a centralized principal investigator, it enables us to address some of those silos that exist between not only uh, research and healthcare, but then also within research as we have to collaborate in new ways to enable patients to have a more uh, healthcare-centered approach to clinical trials. What do you think could be some potential sticking points or spots of friction in heading towards a virtual or a decentralized or a hybrid model, maybe first um, touching on the patient side and then also on the sponsor side. Absolutely. So some of the friction areas, I think that as looking at, at implementing a decentralized trial, approaching it just from the point of data collection, for example, looking at how do I facilitate data collection, doesn't really address the how do we support and, and work with a patient through a trial. It doesn't address how do we handle safety and efficacy monitor, you know, uh, assessments. How do, we, how do we do our pharmacovigilance appropriately? How do we keep the patient engaged in the trial? How do we engage healthcare along with the patient in the trial when we need to have uh, procedures done or assessments or diagnostics and, um, and things that, that happen? We can very easily start to design a, a decentralized trial that is actually more burdensome on the patient for logistics than if they had gone to a traditional research site as, as we move through that. I think there's also the opportunity to look at doing decentralized clinical trials through healthcare and research sites and where, to where we can really dramatically access those patients that qualify for a clinical trial much faster. And then you get into the friction of running into an opportunity where you can see and access all of the patients for a clinical trial in a shorter time period, but it bumps up against an industry that's designed to go slow. The clinical trial industry, save for a few specific types of trials that, that do go fast, is designed to go slowly. So, you know, when you're looking at a, a thousand patient study that's supposed to last two years for recruitment, and all of a sudden that data and all that is happening in two months, it takes a whole different infrastructure to make ensure that you have appropriate insights, oversight, uh, safety, and the ability to process all of that information in, in that fast of a time. So it can create a lot of frictions, or you can also have 
the uh, trial sort of a bolus of information just go from one roadblock to another as you're trying to process uh, all of it very quickly. So it is a, a, a very different approach and, and there are issues that create friction on both the healthcare side as well as the trial side and trying to put those two together. So, you know, it is important. I, I say, you know, when you've, if you've seen one decentralized trial, you've seen one decentralized trial. And we really have to think about each trial having an engineering phase at the beginning to where we anticipate and look at the friction points and how we overcome and control so that everybody has a very good experience. And, and at utmost importance is that the patients are well cared for. Something interesting that you just kind of touched upon was the idea of if you've seen one decentralized trial, you've seen one decentralized trial. How do you recommend people begin this process or start with something actionable, especially when it's a much more individualized process or there's mm -hmm. the same level of roadmap as we've had in the past and relied on in the past? You know, the most important part when starting a decentralized trial is to really understand the healthcare journey of a patient that is matches the inclusion exclusion or, or the indication that you're looking for. Really understanding how that patient moves through healthcare, who they interact with, what stages of their, uh, their, their pathway are treated by different healthcare providers in what settings, and understanding really how that varies throughout different geographies and locations and, and how that treatment is provided. Healthcare can give us a lot of clues into what's the easiest way for us to, to access similar pathways and data uh, when we're running a, a clinical trial. And it's really following the same healthcare journey, but adding those layers of control and, and vigilance and safety around those and, and making sure that we're, that we're doing everything in a way that is fully compliant. So starting with the healthcare journey, and then really understanding how we want to interact with the patients, where is the right point in that journey for them to consider being part of a clinical trial. And that, that is a very important part as well when you're trying to access a lot of patients. You know, are we accessing them through a primary care provider before they're referred into the specialist? Is that the right point? Or when they're at the specialist before you, you make that decision? Are we going direct to patients? Are these patients that are, that are seeking out information and we can go direct to patients? Or are we going through healthcare data into physicians and, and having partner clinicians identifying these patients working with a central PI? So it's, it's important to really spend some time understanding the, the journey of a patient through their condition and then to pair that up with all the control and rigor that is involved in a clinical trial to ensure that we produce submission-ready data. And that does, I think, loop back into what you were speaking about earlier about the idea of patient centricity, which if mm -hmm. you're considering every point of contact that a patient goes through, that is built into the fiber of a trial, especially a decentralized one. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's one of the things that whether we're doing a decentralized trial or we're doing any trial where we're trying to really make it more patient centric is to look at what healthcare does. Healthcare is a giant industry. It's, it's, it's something that is very familiar to most people. It's a, it's a huge thing. Clinical trials is a tiny part of that. And so it's very important that we look to healthcare 
has often solved most of the things that we run up against from a clinical trial perspective. And, and it's just that much more familiar to patients when you're utilizing and accessing a healthcare model or at least a healthcare partnership in order to, to make the patients not feel like they're being taken from healthcare and moved into a clinical trial environment, which is very foreign to them. How does the decentralized model change the ways we need to recruit patients or educate them? What role does health literacy even play in all of this? You know, there's really two sides of that. One is if we're doing a decentralized trial through healthcare, I think it's for us then it's about how do we engage and help those healthcare partners, whether they be uh, physicians or otherwise, to really understand how to describe and how to work with their patients on looking at a clinical trial as a healthcare option for them. When we're going direct to patient, I think we have a whole other level of education that has to happen. And, and we have to really be careful about how, how do we approach these patients and you know, how, how are we doing it. If we're you know, doing social media and patients are opting in, looking for more information, then how do we work with them to help them understand what they're really looking for and what is really involved? People have to, they really have to understand. A great example, you know, is there's a lot of COVID vaccine research being done today. And 99% of patients think that it involves coming in, getting an injection, and going home. And that's it. They don't understand that what they're really signing up for is an interaction and a, an adventure that will likely last two years with multiple visits and follow-ups and check-ins and diaries and information. So helping patients to really understand the commitment that they're making and, and how the trial is going to progress before you really start to look at how you're, how you're interacting. So having that ability to educate right from the beginning is, is super important. You touched upon this before, but someone we haven't really included in this conversation a lot is the physician. How do you think going virtual or going into a decentralized model helps physicians, primary care physicians, in accessing, researching, and recommending trials to their patients? I think, I think that decentralized trials is an excellent way to involve more healthcare providers, you know, predominantly physicians, in clinical trials. You know, it allows us to have, you know, if we're enrolling a thousand patients, we don't have to do it over two years at 10 sites. We can go to 200 physicians and, and contribute patients. We could go to 500 physicians and, and contribute patients in that way and allow more physicians and more patients to have access to a variety of clinical trials so that they have that uh, at their fingertips for patients who are interested in participating. And I think it also gives physicians the opportunity to participate without having to commit to a high volume of patients or needing to do a lot of clinical trials. So it doesn't need to be something that they have to be set up to do in a large scale way and then struggling to find the right patients. What often happens is as we struggle to enroll clinical trials, we often start to bend on the inclusion exclusion criteria or we try to get exclusions or we try to get things that are just close enough to try to fit them in so that we can get that, which doesn't really help the integrity of our, of our research. It's much better for us to go out and find those patients that really are good matches, that really do have an interest in the trial and really are committed to following through with the whole trial procedures 
and, and doing that in, in a better way. I think it's better for the patients, it's better for the physicians, and it's really better at the end of the day for the sponsor of the trial too. How do you think that helps with retention throughout a trial? I mean, you spoke about a patient signing up for the COVID vaccine trial, and that might be a two-year process. How does that help with keeping patients interacting and engaged and retained throughout the entire lifetime of that trial? Yes, patient retention is, is a very big issue and, and understanding how to, to do that. So first of all, making it easier for the patient to participate is, is the first big step. So having sites that are uh, locations that are closer to them, more familiar to them, if it's their own physician, it's even better because that's something they already understand and do. It's nearby. And you know, it's something that, that is a, an important decision you know, in, in doing that. And we forget that when you're looking at just looking at a country like the United States, that if we have 50 sites, one in each state, we really haven't covered the whole country. You know, it's not like I live in Texas. You know, so one site isn't gonna really cover Texas or even Rhode Island or, or wherever. So we're really tapping into small pools of patients and trying to understand how to make it convenient for patients to participate in a clinical trial is very important. I think also the more that we're doing a clinical trial with their own physician helps with that relationship and also the loss to follow-up. So it's a, lot, it's a lot easier to decide not to go into that research center that was uh, an hour away that where you'd finally decide, I'm just not interested in doing this anymore. But it's a whole different thing when it's your own physician and you have history. And even if you make the, the, the decision to discontinue that trial for whatever reason, it, you can then do that in consultation with the physician and appropriately exit the trial with the right exit procedures and documentation. And I think the biggest issue we have you know, around discontinuations is the patients who disappear. Um, and, and are lost to follow up. And that, that leaves you wondering why and how do we get that information? How do we make sure that we are not creating an unintentional access gap by adopting a more virtual slash hybrid slash decentralized model? Especially when we're discussing the importance of including diversity and recruiting diversely in our clinical trials and that goes across uh, racial groups, socioeconomic groups, geographic groups? How do we make sure that we're not unintentionally leaving people out? We actually have to make that a priority for ourselves to encourage and to get access into the, the areas that are not well represented with clinical trials today. And often, you know, the, the issue is, is more about how do we engage local healthcare providers that have relationships in the, in the local communities where we can leverage those in order to get more access into clinical trials. And often those are the uh, centers, whether they're geographically isolated groups where we don't have good coverage or where you're trying to get into certain ethnic groups or minority populations that aren't well represented, making it better, you know, more convenient and involving their own healthcare providers through a decentralized approach can really increase the trust and the convenience of being able to participate you know, in a clinical trial. You know, it's often an e easier way to do this than to try to figure out how to you know, 
using logistics, you know, have people be the ones that are taking on the, the challenge of movement around and trying to get to that. It's just so much easier to bring it in, into the communities that, that don't have that. And that's something that we've had a lot of experience with as we've moved into communities that are isolated or have our sort of, you know, barren zones of clinical trials, if you will, where there really just is no option. And, you know, we're working with a cancer center in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, and their closest other opportunity is MD Anderson in Houston, which is many hours away. You know, it's, it's an opportunity that gathers both uh, minority populations as well as populations that are, are just geographically distanced from sites. Something else I'd love to get your thoughts on is data sharing. How does going decentralized aid or change data sharing back to patients? That's something that we have to commit to as researchers and, and have the ability to go back and provide ongoing and data sharing. I, I want to commend many sponsors who are integrating this process into their trials and making it part of what's happening you know, for them. And it can be as simple, there's lots of areas that are very easy to address. One is that patients are often wanting to know what data are you collecting on me? When you're doing all of these diagnostics procedures, can you tell me how I did and what the results were and providing, providing that data as well as what's happening in the overall trial and the treatment and, and keeping people up to date on how their contribution has helped advance that, as well as keeping the local physicians uh, you know, informed in these in different communities. It's a great way for them to, to understand and to connect the dots on what they've done and, and why it matters. And so I think we're seeing a lot more of that. It is something that is very important and I think it helps to involve more people in clinical trials. Obviously, the pandemic is looming large in everyone's mind, and in many ways, the ultimate example of clinical research as a care option. How sponsors use that momentum and that engagement in the community on a, on a general population level and bring that into how they interact with potential participants in clinical trials, you know, outside of the COVID-19 pandemic for other indications? I think, I think that's, a, that's a great question. And yes, there, there's always crises always lead to innovation and adoption. Mm -hmm. and, and our industry is, our history is built around major shifts of, of opportunity that has been driven by the uh, healthcare crises that we faced or, or major events. So this is definitely impacting those. And I think that the idea of having to be closer partners with patients um, as, we, as we conduct clinical trials and to look at you know, the challenges of how do we accelerate products through in, in a market uh, like we have today, uh, trying to address COVID, for example, you know, as, as you mentioned, as a, as a solution so that we know that we want this to happen very, very quickly. But we also know that we have a population that is, you know, understands that there is research that's being done, but they really don't understand what that means, what it involves, uh, they don't know what happens if I participate in a trial and then, you know, three months later, uh, something else gets approved. What do I do? You know, does that keep me from getting, you know, the new product? And so, you know, I think it's so important that we really remember to tie back participation in a clinical trial uh, into how their overall healthcare is, is, is moving and 
how we're looking at people that are really trying to get out ahead of what's happening. And for whatever motivation they have, if they're thinking I can get involved in this trial and maybe I'll, I'll be protected or ha I'll get some benefit, or if it's the, like the vast majority of people who are just simply trying to help find solutions for you know, medical illnesses and issues that we face, you know, keeping that as a partnership. And, and this is so important to us. And I think the, the pandemic has really highlighted how we really have to be better at engaging uh, our, uh, the population you know, as partners in, in doing this in the right way. You know, more education, more knowledge about, about what's going on and how we can communicate back to those people that are, that are participating and, and make it make kind of close the loop so that they, they feel that their contributions they can see how those contributions really helped. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time to speak with us and to share your thoughts. Again, that was John Potoff, CEO of Elego, discussing the patient centricity of decentralized trials. For more information on our PharmaTalk podcast, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you so much for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.